G'day, this is Dom Harvey from The Edge Breakfast Show, and you're listening to The Kiwi Running Show. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 29 of the Kiwi Running Show. It's great to have you here. Now obviously summer is approaching and Christmas is, um, well it's on this, what, this Sunday. So uh, the next few weeks are going to be a little bit different for us. What we've actually done is uh, sat down with one of the legends of New Zealand running. Um, he is a man who trained under Arthur Lydiard back in the 50s. Um, he, he calls himself a... Um, a nobody, literally a, a nobody before he started his running journey and he says that when he was at, at primary school and early high school he never won a race, a cross country race or an athletics um, event until he started training under Arthur Lydiard and he went on to win the bronze medal in the marathon at the 1960 Rome Olympics. So over the next few weeks, we're going to feature uh, an extended interview with Barry McGee, and he is really one of the one of the pillars of the New Zealand running community. Great guy, worth his weight in gold. Just um, anyone who's met him will understand how how approachable and friendly he is. Um, but man, has he got a lot of stories and wisdom to share with us all? So. We sat down, Hamish and I, with him in his living room for uh, about three or four hours and really picked his brain. It was a really amazing opportunity and we're, um, we're forever grateful for, for Barry and Heather for opening up their, their doors to us. Um, so today is going to be the first of those installments and then the plan is not for next week. We're going to have a bit of coverage from the Night of Fives um, next week, but then the following two episodes are going to be episodes with Barry. So this one covers from basically birth up until he started to really make it in his running. So once he had been with Arthur Lydiard for about eight years, he started to really hit his straps and started to get really hungry and thought, man, I could do this on the international scene. So really inspirational um, story and I would encourage people to to share this with your friends, um, share this with young runners who might be trying to see if they've got potential, um, also just beginner runners who are thinking that they're not much of a runner at the moment um, and this interview with Barry will show you that you don't have to have a huge amount of talent, you've got to have the dedication and the right training to get you to where you need to go. So talent isn't everything hard work is. So without further ado, let's pass over to Barry McGee. All right, so here we are uh, at the house of Barry McGee and he's been very, very gracious to let us invade his living room with a bunch of microphones and, and sound equipment. So welcome to the show. First of all, Barry McGee. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's, it's uh, my privilege to be here, my privilege to be some call me a legend, and I, yeah. I say, well, you've got to add the word living. So <laughs> when you get to a certain age, um, living, you know, legends become greater when they're dead than when they're alive. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just pleased. I'm still breathing and still doing stuff, and um, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm pleased that you're here. Yeah, oh, awesome. And I know there will be a lot of people really excited about this interview because you are one of the the real um, the real characters or, or, or pillars, I suppose, of the New Zealand running com community. So it's uh, we're we're very honoured to be here. 
Now, we, we're going to start by hearing your, your story kind of before 1960, which was, the, I guess, the big year for, um, for you as a runner. Um, so where did, where did life begin for you? Where, where and when? Uh, yes, well, I was born a long time ago. And um, I think uh, in my birthday, it was about the 6th of February, 1934. Oh, nice. Born in New Plymouth. Yeah. Born Brilliant. in New Plymouth. So... Um, is yeah. there something in that Taranaki water, maybe? Uh, well, we've had yeah, Peter Snell, <laughs> yeah. born in Taranaki, <laughs> Paul Ballinger, born in Taranaki. Wow. And Taranaki yeah. has produced some great sportsmen. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> we'll never have an answer to that. Maybe that good, that good supply of dairy milk, getting nice strong bones, I, I'm well, not sure. Perhaps, perhaps so. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was just, it was in the Depression, 1934. Yeah. A huge Depression in New Zealand. Um, Mum and Dad had met at a small little community called Rahutu in Taranaki, and um, they'd got married down there, and, uh, and then uh, they had me. And, um, but then again, we, Dad was helping on a farm and um, with, with just general handyman on a farm. He'd come from Ireland when he was about 21, and Mum, wow. was, a, mum was a Kiwi. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, they had a little, a little cottage on the farm, supplied by the farmer, and uh, apparently we all went out one Saturday night for something when I was four years of age, and when we come home, the little house had burnt down. Oh, <laughs> no. The little cottage was no more. Yeah. And so the farmer had to say goodbye, and, and mum and dad had to say goodbye, because they couldn't, there was nowhere else to stay and live in this little place called Rahutu. Wow. And yeah. uh, it was about 20 minutes round from New Plymouth, round the mountain, yeah. uh, around on the coast. So uh, they headed for Auckland. Mm. And, of course, probably that's one of the best decisions they ever made because yeah. you know, people who actually get to Auckland or, or the big smoke have far more opportunities for everything. Yeah. And so um, we started living in New Lynn and uh, they got a, a unit sort of thing. Um, they rented a, a unit there, you know, half a, a house divided into two. And um, I went to New Lynn Primary School so Prima 1, Great. Prima 2, Prima 3, and Prima 4. And they put their names down for state house. The governments were big in state housing in about 1949, round about, well, 1939, from the wartime on. Yeah, they sure. built thousands and thousands and thousands of what they call state houses for about 25 shillings a week. Every family in New Zealand, the idea was to house them in something that they could afford. And... Um, that was, I think, you'd probably call it Labour Party policy. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and so um, at seven, I think I was, um, yeah, four, from four to seven at New Lynn, and then from seven on in Mount Roskill. Mm-hmm. Um, from the age of seven, and I'm still in Mount Roskill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, haven't you? <laughs> in my yeah. age now. Yeah. So, um, and then went to Dominion Road Primary School. I went to Balmoral Intermediate School. Went to Seddon Tech College, it was called then, which oh, is okay. AUT now in Wellesley oh, Street. Oh, okay. And yeah. they shifted the college out and called it Western Springs College. Yeah. Uh, ah, it's yeah. called these days. And, um, it, um, and so that was, that was the schooling, the yeah. schooling stage um, right up to 15. Left yeah. school at 15, happiest day of my life. <laughs> I hated school. I know the feeling, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 um, we lived in an era where school teachers ruled by fear yeah that's it they, they they banged you on the head they banged you around the ears they yep. smacked the cane hands for the ruler you know on the desk and 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 uh it wasn't happy time 
particularly particularly for a lot of boys got really really they got strapped commonly it was happening and, and discipline was tough um, and it was an age when I was in the you know just about that time where they brought all these teachers out it was wartime they brought teachers out of retirement who, who yeah. had been at, you know at 70 plus because yeah. all the men had gone to war yeah and um yeah, so school school was never happy. I was an introverted kid at yep. school. I was scared to play games at school. And when they did have games, I was the last kid picked mm. to play in some little thing at playtime. Yeah. I was the smallest in the class, the skinniest in the class, the scaredest kid in the class. Yep. I was shy and introverted. And um, I used to go home from school when I was standard three and lie in the bed and cry. Wow. Uh, I was so lonely. And uh, we had a school, a class bully. He yep. used to pin me down at, at, at playtime. And he was twice my size. And he would give me what they call the typewriter yeah, on yeah. the chairs <laughs> until I cried. I've given wow. him a and, and, um, <laughs> yeah. You so. can see perhaps why I was shy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because, yeah. Um, you know, those years were not happy. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and that, that went right through till I was about 14. Wow. Yeah. And, and did sport ever play a part before you were 14 uh, throughout that? Or did you just feel like you're on the outside of those sorts um, of games? Yeah, from about 12, my dad loved sport. Um, and then again, see, dad dad was a thing that I was scared stiff of dad. He, he was a disciplinarian in the house. So I was scared stiff yeah. of dad. I never remember dad ever patting me on the shoulder, ever say giving me a hug ever saying one word that was good. Wow. Um, because you know, my dad actually didn't want any children. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and, and he got me. And um, so, so you're was a only child? Uh, you're the only child? No, no brothers well, and sisters? Well, I had so. a brother when I was yeah. eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I got a, a younger brother when I was eight, but really brought up as a sing an, an only child, virtually, yeah. because of eight years of old. You know, I was 10, he was two. Mm. I was 12, he was four. So there was, there was nothing, nothing between us in those years. Yeah. But um, so even home wasn't happy always, you know, with that situation. And I was yep. scared of dad. And um, but I did, but he did love sport. He loved sport. And um, he, he, he took me across to the Three Kings Athletic Club when I was about 12 oh, yeah. on, a, on a Wednesday night. Brilliant. And I joined in the kids' athletics at 12 and 13 and 14. Yep. Good stuff. And, and also about 12 years old, my boyfriend joined the Roscoe Rugby Football Club. Yeah. And so I, at yeah. 12, 13, 14, I played rugby also for Mount Roscoe Rugby. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I was... And how, how did that go? <laughs> You shouldn't ask. <laughs> it was hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> hopeless. I think the coach must have saw me and how I played and everything, and he probably thought, what can I do with this kid? So he put me yeah. out on what was called the left wing, <laughs> 15 yeah. guys on the field. I'd lucky if I touched the ball two or three times in a game. Yeah. I was scared to tackle the other team guys. Yeah. I was scared they would tackle me. Yeah. I would virtually run away from the ball or do a dive before they tackle me. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, I was scared of everything and everyone. Yeah. And um, so it didn't do a lot for me. And uh, that was 12, 13, 14. Yeah. But I did persist yeah. with the athletic club at Three Kings because the president's daughter was a beautiful little blonde girl. <laughs> and every Wednesday I went and I just looked at Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> There's but usually a girl in the story <laughs> somewhere, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Hey, so this is, you know, back pre-1950s. 
Right? Or going into the oh, yes, that, this is yeah. all in the 40s. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and so you're at Three Kings Athletics Club, and it, just as an aside, um, was this boys and girls doing athletics, or was it almost always boys back in No, those no, days? it was both. Yeah. No, you had the equal amount, but probably, of oh, boys really? and girls at, the, yeah. at, a, at a kids' athletic club then. Yeah. No, it wasn't one or the other. Yeah. And it was parents, because I mean, kids had no say in it. Parents yeah. brought their kids to a children's athletic club. Yeah. So it was all a parents' decision mm-hmm. and that with it. But um, I'll never, you know, I always remembered Shirley. I've no idea what Shirley um, ended up with or yeah. has, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it kept me into the athletic club. Yeah. And yeah. I can't remember winning one race in that three years with the Three Kings Athletic Club. W- wow, yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it now, did something about the sport grab you? Or, or was it later on that, that you got hooked into it? Um, I don't know whether it was social or physical. No, I, I, I can't really answer that. I don't, I don't know what it was. I think the main reason for going along was Shirley <laughs> every week. And, um, yep. But um, you know, I, I'm probably lucky if I said hello to Shirley three times in the three years. Yep. <laughs> I had no idea what... Um, but no, no I sort of enjoy... I mean... As we know with running or something, there's a certain satisfaction about doing things, mm-hmm. about the accomplishment that even if you don't win the thing, you still have done something and yep. you go home and, and um, you still feel quite good about doing it. Yep. And the same with the, the rugby. Now, I was hopeless for nearly three years as a rugby left winger for Roscoe, but yeah. um, I still went home with all my mud and dirt and lay in the bath for 20 minutes and cleaned up yeah. and um, that you had actually done something. Yeah. And I had that feeling uh, during that time. Yeah. And, and so, you know, from these early days, when did the athletics begin to take on a more serious tone and, and when did you really get hooked in and w- mm-hmm. what was the catalyst for, well, for taking it seriously? Yeah, the whole catalyst happened when I was 14. Yep. Scared, shy, quiet little guy, and um, I went to a Bible class camp yep. up in the Henderson Valley, mm-hmm. which is I think Camp Wesley or something it was called. Yep. And a Bible class camp mainly because you know it was good fun, and um, the girls were going to be there, of course. Yep. And at uh, fourteen, you know, you're just starting to think they are not too bad. Yep. And um, yeah. so I went to the Bible class camp, and um, something in the and a, and a minister came from, I think, the local Methodist church in, in Henderson or somewhere like that, Glen Eden or somewhere. Yeah. To, yeah. Henderson, probably. And um, he preached to all us kids, about 40 kids there at this camp. Yeah. Anyway, um, something got through to Barry that day. Yeah. And um, he mentioned about whether you were hot or cold. <laughs> yeah. He was talking about it was something comes out of Revelation yep. about being hot or cold because if you're warm, Lukewarm, God will spit you out. <laughs> yeah. He said, so you can choose God, you can choose Satan. And so that day I, I chose God. Yep. Yep. And my whole life changed yep. within months. Yeah. My whole life has just turned around. Instead of quiet, shy, I, for the first time in my life, I had confidence. Yeah. And I was a new person. I still wow. played rugby that year at 14, but I was a trend that from about that, you know, that season. You've got to remember, I'd played for two and a half years, or two and a half seasons for Mount Roskill. I was a wing through quarter, and I'd never scored a try. 
yeah. <laughs> I, got a, I reckon that's a national record. Yeah, you're, you're there to score the tries. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I found out later. Wingers are there to score the points, the tries, because they're fast and quick and the ball goes out to them. Yeah, and yeah. our great wingers are, they boom, they yep. score the tries. Well, I'd played two and a half years and never scored a try because I was probably the 15th best player in the team. But <laughs> after that Bible class camp, um, suddenly I started to play better. Suddenly I wasn't scared of the other guys on the field. And yeah. much to my surprise, about three quarters way through the season, I found out I had made the Auckland rep team. Wow. The hooker. Really? Yeah. As, as, as hooker, did you say? No, oh. I was a hooker oh, in our okay. team. Yeah. And, and me the left wing. Wow. Out of the 15 players, two had been selected to represent Auckland to play the Kuiper reps at yeah. Helensville. And um, so they had selected three wingers. So I got half a game at Henderson. We won the game 27-0. Yes. And I scored my first try in a rep match. And That's I amazing. Your first two try. Two guys either. on my back across the try line really? to get there. I'd, I'd gone from you know zero to hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in just a few months. Yeah. And I, I was I was transformed. I was a new person. Awesome. And was it that sort of faith uh, faith encounter? Was it that you had something something bigger um, giving you that focus, or yeah, what was kind of the mental shift caused by? Do you think? Um, I can't. I, I really don't know. Yeah. I really can't. It's unexplainable, but something in Barry's mind was changed. My, somehow, my mind and brain was transformed, you know, from being negative and everything to being positive. Everything. Yeah, I sure. was scared of nothing and nobody after that. Yeah. And from about fourteen and a half on, you know, I just and um, I flew. I mean, the next season was the interesting one. I started practicing for Mount Roskill again thinking, ha-ha, Auckland rep now, next year the All Blacks. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was getting into fantasy land there. But uh, in an early season practice, um, anyway, I went to catch the ball one day. It hit me on the end of a finger, um, middle finger, sticking up. And the next day that finger was twice its normal size, the, yeah. the big long middle finger. Uh, <laughs> I had sprained a ligament in the, in the joint. <laughs> and it, so I went to the doctor. He put it in a splint for six weeks. And twice as big as it normally was, said, come back in six weeks. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. Yeah. And so that would have been that rugby season out, was it? Or Yes. So that, that we, yeah, we, we were just getting going that rugby season. Yeah. But so what happened was, was the greatest thing, probably the, the thing that where Barry became a runner. Yeah. I had my finger in a splint for about three weeks. Yeah. I went to Bible class every Sunday morning at mm -hmm. the local Methodist church in, in Mount Roskill. Yeah. And one of the Bible class members, one of my mates who I knew from school and everything, said, Barry, why don't you come and have a run with the Harrier Club next Saturday? Yeah. Because they're running from our church. Yeah. He said it's called the Wesley Harrier Club. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a Methodist church Harrier Club of Auckland. Because yep. in those days, the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Methodists, they all had their own Harrier running clubs. Yeah. They were the biggest clubs yeah. just about in the, in the Is city. Is there any sectarian violence amongst those uh, <laughs> different de denominations? Yeah. No. Well, well, I wasn't. Was yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. But anyway, so, um, and he said, what's more? The Bible class girls prepare afternoon tea for us all, uh. and boy, some of them are pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, so the yeah. next Saturday, uh, with my finger in a splint, yeah. off Gary goes with his shorts and his singlet, <laughs> and as his first run, 
in the distance run, we ran about three miles or five k. And there's a recurring theme here with the young ladies. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Yes. No, it's good. Whatever, whatever gets you down. And so I think I was normal. Yeah, no, that is normal. That's great. Um, and so, you know, you launch. Was it full in, full on into a Harrier season? Did you start racing cross country and, and yep. all of that right away? Yep. What was that like? Cross country, the... road running. Yep. Um, well, I enjoy, I loved it. I enjoyed it. And see, what I found out, my lack of speed, of not being naturally fast, which handicaps you as a child, because in my day, they had no middle or distance running, really, at the children's club. They yep. had none. And no. so the longest race was about 440 or 400 metres. And, of course, if you're not a sprinter... You know, the sprinters could do the hurdles, they could do the long jump, they could do the sprints. They can usually they, throw things okay as well. They're just generally they, oh, yeah, powerful that, and strong. They are, yeah. yeah, they're the naturals, the kids. But So that's that's why I never got anywhere. I was never fast in a sprint speed thing. But when I got, yeah, when it was three miles or 5K, um, I had found my, my niche and my forte yeah. that, um, you know, with um, after two miles, I was still feeling okay. And yeah. I could last it. And so that was the beginning when the whole distance running career of Barry McGee started and it took yeah. off at 15 years of age yeah. when I went out and started training about three days a week yeah. <laughs> at 15 years wow. of age. So and just three days a week. That's um, all. Yeah. yeah, about three days a week. The club captain, who was called Gil Edwards, who just died, I think, this year. Wow. Yeah. The club captain, he, he said he would take me over. And he started my running, yep. and he gave me a little schedule that I think was a Tuesday run and mm. a Thursday run, and Harry's on Saturday. Yep. That's about awesome. the first year we started with that. <laughs> but I loved it all, yep. and uh, I never played another game of rugby in my life. Yeah, <laughs> and I was then hooked on running, and then it was tr summer and winter, just running, running, and more running. Yeah, awesome. And were you still uh, small at that age? You were saying eight, eight and nine. You were quite, um, quite little. Um, mm. Did you? Were you still um, low BMI? Shall we say um, at, at age fifteen? Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it was. I think it was under seven stone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing in those yeah. days, yeah. which would be about fifty kg. Fifty-five yeah, like... kg soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, soaking wet. That's right. Skinny little. But yeah. as you as you possibly know, we're not quite like racehorses, but I think you do have to choose your parents very carefully. Yes, yeah. you don't want to be a hundred k. You know, mm. you you know, you got it. My mum was a thoroughbred shape, and my dad was a thoroughbred shape, and so I ended up, you know, some. What was about nine stone, you know, at eighteen, about nine stone and about five foot eight and a half, yeah. which was smallish and mm. skinnyish, and but ideal for running. Yeah, ideal yep. for running. Yeah, five nine and a half and about nine stone four. Yeah, and, and that's the way it was for um. So really, like the Kenyans, Ethiopians, in a way, we were the right shape and, yep. and sort of, and we had the stamina factor mm. because I say you're born a sprinter. Yeah. Um, or you're born a probably a discus and a shot putter, mm. like the Valerie yeah, Adams the, the sort power, of thing. The power athlete, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, i got to look up about two feet to talk to yeah. Valerie Adams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you, you're born, you're born, but you've got to choose your parents carefully. So that's probably the one the one advantage I have as a distance runner. Yeah. And I'd found my niche and forte. And yeah. I think even the first year I managed to win the ju the junior championship of Wesley. Yeah, in my first year of running, because yeah, I'd awesome. found I'd found something I could do. Yeah, my lack of speed wasn't a handicap, 
mm. you know, running in, in um, you know, a three-mile or a four-mile or a five-mile race. Yeah. We were talking earlier before we, um, before we were on air just about those early days and um, there's a brochure that you showed us from, uh, what was the title of that? From, um, from a nobody to an athletic champion. Um, and so tell us about those, those first few forays into making your first Auckland team. You know, we would think, you know, going all the way through and, and to become an Olympic medalist that you would mm. be amazing right away, mm. but that's not the case. Uh, I only wish it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, there was there was sort of ups and downs. So there was a, I'd have a race, and, and you know, and you'd say, "Well, the potential is is pretty good for that young boy," mm. and uh, then the next race wouldn't be so good. Yeah. And uh, so there was a lot of ups and downs in those early years of fourteen and fifteen and sixteen, and um, some of them were quite good. But I, st- I still ended up. You know, towards the back of the field in, in any any big major national mm. or that with it. But then again, I'd done well enough to make an Auckland rep team. Yeah. And so ninety five percent of all Aucklanders couldn't make the rep team, but at mm. least I've made the rep team. Yeah. Um, but you know, first New Zealand cross country junior got the stitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, running in Dunedin, Wingatui race course, and and that half kill me. And I was about, I think I was about 10th at halfway, and I was 36 at the finish. Yeah. I got wow. a stitch and couldn't breathe with the cold yeah, air, yeah. And, and everything yeah. turned to custard. So, yeah, yeah. But um, never never lost that hope factor. Yeah. Never never lost the will to, to do better. Mm. And um, as I tell my runners these days, it is not a matter of success and failure. It's a matter of learning the lessons in life and they apply to running. Yeah. You you know you 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 find out what you can and you cannot do, and you do it. Mm. You don't think about the success or failure. Mm. And uh, but I was able to take the success and failure um, equally as well. And yep. uh, Never never got you know morally <laughs> demolished <laughs> yep. through uh, thinking oh I'm Can't not going to run again or I'm yeah. going to give up. Yeah. Never never got into that category at all. Oh, that's and, fantastic. Uh, that that sort of kept me going. In fact, if I lost, I was more motivated to do better. Wow. Yeah. If I yeah. won, I was motivated to, to do to it again. To carry on, yeah. 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 Now, yeah. somewhere at, at some stage soon in the story, Arthur Lydiard comes on the scene, and, and this must be you know a, a seminal moment where, where there was a, 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 a change and, and things went from being you know going in a positive direction to going in a really, really positive upwards direction. Yeah. So you know, how, how were you introduced to Arthur, or mm. how, how did that mm. meeting take place? Mm. Well, that, that's an incredible story. I'm glad you asked the question. Yeah, <laughs> really, because you know, that was the, the second major transformation in my life. Mm-hmm. I was 17 years of old, um, 17 and a half, something like that. And um, what happened one day was um, I was working as a grocery boy in a grocery shop for Foursquare yep. in Mount Eden. And the man who owned a shop across the road was a Foursquare grocer. Mm. To start with, he asked me, Barry said, would you like to come and work for me? I'll give you an extra pound a week. So I was about <laughs> 17 and a half, yeah. and this is the first thing that happened. And that, that was a real step up in, in my work career. Yeah. That, with it, of going with a privately owned little shopkeeper. Yeah. And uh, that man played yeah. a tremendous part in my life for the next 20 or 30 years. Oh, really? And uh, I never knew quite why till later. Yeah. But after that, while I just started working for him, 
my dad was in a work accident mm. and he died. Oh. I lost my dad when I was 17. Wow. Yeah. So I never had I never had the satisfaction of having a dad pat me on the shoulder or say you've done well. Mm. Everything mm. I did for the role on after, you know, I'd be thinking of dad even though we weren't on great terms. Yeah. Somehow a boy needs a dad. Well, yeah. Particularly one that sort of says, "Well done, son. You did your best. You gave it a good shot. I'm proud yeah. of you." Yeah. No, there was nothing there, so Dad never saw me run. But he he was in hospital for about six weeks before he died. So there was two major things. The third major thing was during while all that was happening, my club captain Gil Edwards said to me one day, "Barry, there was a man that is coaching in Auckland that I think I would like you to meet." Mm. He could do far more with you than I can, and uh, I would like to pass you on to him if he will have you. Yeah. Now, we're racing around the bridges next Saturday. He will be racing there. I'd like to introduce you to him and see if he will take you over because I think you have some potential. Yeah. So that was the club captain, Gil Edwards. Next Saturday, I, I think I won the junior race of Round the Bridges and Arthur ran on the seniors. Gil and that was Hamilton? At Hamilton. Yeah. Mm. Gil took me into the dressing room, introduced me to Arthur Lydian, and that was a transforming moment in my life too because <clears throat> Arthur Lydian just looked at me and um, he probably didn't remember who my name was or anything. <laughs> he just looked at me and said, Son, are you prepared to run 100 miles a week? <laughs> I was 17. Yeah. And, um, and were you still on three days a week, or you must have? I was up about four days a week. Yeah, four <laughs> days. Big a week. mileage. Yeah, big <laughs> mileage. Four days a week, seventeen. But that was—it was so stark and in your face. Son, are you prepared to run a hundred miles a week? Yeah. He said, "Tell me yes, or tell me no. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time and mine." <laughs> yeah. And that was Lydia, of course. Anyone that knows Lydia, it was bang, bang, bang. Yeah. yeah. Was, no, no, you didn't have time to think about things either. Yes or no, black and white. Yeah. No great <laughs> in between. And so that, that was what happened that day. And I must have said yes. Yep. I was at his house the next afternoon and I got my first training schedule, 100 miles a week. Wow. Oh, start <laughs> on week one. Really? Straight in? <laughs> straight in. Absolutely no 10%. You know, yeah. I've heard some coaches say, you only increase at 10%. Yeah. You know, if you're on 50 miles, you go to 60, 55. You go yeah, yeah. Yeah, not Lydia. <laughs> no. Plan A, yeah. finish. So you yeah. were on, what, 30, 40 miles a week before that? Yeah. 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 I'd, wow. 30, 40 miles a week to um, 100. I, 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 <laughs> and I want you to you know, continue <laughs> the story naturally, but yeah. you've got to tell us about that first week. Do you remember running 100 <laughs> Miles a week, or, or oh, yeah. trying. Yeah, went out and gave it all a go. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And survived. And yeah. um, and how was that? Single runs, or did that you was d- single runs? Yeah. 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 In conditioning, you weren't yeah. allowed to split training. Okay. Mm. It was all on single runs. As the years went by, he encouraged us to do a, a second run of the day. But in those early days, he said conditioning. You'll get ninety nine percent of everything you want with training once a day and doing the mileage. Yep. Two one-hour runs are not the same as one two-hour run. Yeah. yeah, And he knew all those principles. He knew everything. And as history would tell it, <laughs> he had it perfect. Mm. <laughs> he had it perfect. And actually, Halberg and I were the first two New Zealanders to begin a track schedule that was official under Arthur Lydiard. Really? Yeah. He, he told me that wow. 10 years later. You yeah. and Murray, he said, were the first two. I'd, I'd practiced on the Lindale runners very well for about five years yeah yeah experimenting with them 
But then I formulated the complete schedules like that are in run to the top. And yep. Halver and I were the first two that ever started on those. So that's a little part of history yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. So that must have been what, 51, 52? Um, um, seven, yeah, about 51. Yeah. That started in 1951. Yeah. And, um, and of course, um, the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest well, is history. Did you Bert think... Payne uh, gave Halberg to Lydian. Yeah. Gil Edwards gave Barry McGee to Lydian. Yeah. And, uh, we were two of the original six boys. Of, yeah. Uh, the original the, six. The foresight of, of these guys, um, Bert Payne and Gil Edwards, yeah. to, to see that they had talented athletes, and that must have been exciting for them as coaches, mm. thinking, oh, you know, I can take these guys to a good level, win some national titles. But no, to actually then hand those athletes over to someone who at that stage was actually a, a relatively unproven coach yes. you know they must have there must have been something in in arthur lydia that they saw that that um it's very very rare yeah that mm. a good coach will will really tell their runner mm. i know of a better coach yeah, yeah. They, they they love the glory they yeah. love the coming with coaching you know there's a spin-off on coaching mm. you know i've got a list of new zealand champions a, a, a mile long that I've coached over the years and I'm proud as punch of those yeah. Yeah. and I'd have had trouble giving them away to yeah, another coach yeah. who I thought yeah. was better but yeah. this is what both those men did and because of that McGee and Halberg were both born from two coaches that gave away cool. their star runners yeah, yeah. wow we, did you have much faith in this this plan when you saw 100 mile on the did you did you think Arthur was a bit crazy when you first saw it, or did yeah, you think, oh well, let's, no, let's just I, I give it a go? No, I didn't think so at yeah. all. Um, I just said, if he said it, that's it. Yeah, it's a, a little bit like the Bible. God <laughs> yeah. says it. <laughs> you know, obedience is everything with, with, with a Christian. And yeah. it was sort of the same with Lydian. You either did it, you shipped, you shaped up, or you shipped out. Yeah, there was no in between. Yeah. And you either did the stuff, or or you walked away. Mm. So. Um, um, now I, I just took it as it was, and I thought, and that was, I could see how well the other guys were doing. Yeah, I was in, just encouraged by to do it and to do more, and to um, give it my best shot. Yeah, awesome. So, um, but the thing is, the other coaches in Auckland, I had one man come to me one day and said, "I hear you've gone to Lydia," and I said, "Yes." And he just looked, he bent over, he looked at me and said, "He'll kill ya. He'll kill ya. <laughs> yeah. He'll kill them all. Hundred miles a week." You, you know, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. that's well, ridiculous. At the time, a hundred miles a week. You know, with all due respect, it was ridiculous. Yeah, Nobody right. was doing this. Even the senior runners were only doing forty miles a week. Yeah, really? yeah. And Lydia had revolutionised training worldwide through New Zealand, but the yeah. whole world. Mm. It transformed the whole world. And in, in those early days, did you have a sense that that you were part of? something that special no. or no no sense what no sense at all <laughs> about um about yeah about what we were making history or what was happening or what was doing yeah yeah no, no there was no sense of that we were just we were all friends in the runners yeah and um and we would just meet with lydia perhaps a couple of nights a week at his house and then for wider on a sunday yeah we'd just meet at his house his house was open house to us guys yeah i don't know how his wife and his four kids put up with it <laughs> yeah but because you know he had you know there'd be 10 runners there you know to do wider rules and things yeah. like that yeah and we all go in for a cup of tea we we're welcome to have a bath after him 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so run a bath. Arthur was, would go first. That, was that the Arthur rules? first in the bath. He said, <laughs> yep, you, you're welcome to have a bath after me. Yeah. yeah. So he'd get in and for three or four minutes, you know, throw all the water around, he'd jump out and grab a towel. Yeah. And um, any of you guys want a bath, come and get one. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was the way. But it was open house. And this was with a wife and four children. Yeah. And a, and a busy man in 40, 45 hour week, working week. Yeah. And he was running at the same time yeah. as well. So yeah, but boy, and, he was a go-getter. And he was <laughs> what a, a lot of people this day and age don't realise just what a good runner he was. So he represented New Zealand at what was in the Empire Games, now the yeah. Commonwealth Games. Commonwealth so Games marathon. What's that? Um, the Auckland event in nineteen. 19- well, he won the Auckland and the New Zealand, 1950. Yeah. Competed for New Zealand in the um, Empire Commonwealth Games. Marathon. Yeah, yeah, that's The Empire correct. Games, as it was yeah. called then. And so when you were coming through, was there a lot of running with Arthur, or was he more there coaching? Or Yeah, in the early years, yes, perhaps two or three days a week with Arthur. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, with Arthur. And that was very helpful, because yeah. we just listened. And he, he just he just told us all the secrets and all the principles of running yep. as we went, how he'd learned from the South Africans, he'd learned from the English, yep. and why we were doing certain things, and and um, that so-and-so shrub or something in 1902, he could run 10 miles in 50 minutes because and because he, he was doing 100 miles a week. Yep. The whole yep. world had gone away from that running. Yep. Yeah. And then they were running 51 minutes for 10 so, miles 30 years later. So... That's, <laughs> so, so Arthur Lydiard had done that research and known about yep. the pedestrians like Alf Shrub and yep. and was kind of melding those ideas into his own. And he tried them all himself. Yep. You know, he ran 50 miles a week. He ran 100 miles a week. He ran mm. 150 miles a week. He ran 200 miles a week. Yeah. And he tested everything on himself. Mm. And he found out that about 100 miles a week conditioned the body better than any other distance yeah particularly you know in once a day training yeah you could train twice a day and do 100 miles and you weren't as conditioned as well as if you did it once a day yeah and he and he worked out the formula of bigger smaller bigger smaller longer shorter yeah on alternate days different efforts yeah and um and it all worked and so those uh, you know first few years under Lydia it must have been amazing so tell us about your, uh, you know, ascension from being, you know, a national or, or good Auckland level runner, and what those first few years under Lydia, what, what was the progression like? Yeah, well, it was fairly fast. Yeah, under Lydia because um, we revolutionised, you know, really distance running in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, and um, and of course that, you know, we would dominate wherever we went. I mean, probably. I remember perhaps six people, six runners represented Auckland you know, at the New Zealand Cross Country Champs and all the other runners at the New Zealand on the Friday night, champ, on the night before the big race, when they'd saw the Auckland team, they'd turn pale. <laughs> so, so they were beaten men before they even started yeah. so, because we just took it to new levels. I mean, I remember probably about 20 years of age, 19 or 20, after about two years of Arthur's training, went out and ran in the Lindale 15-mile annual road race. Yep. Uh, I beat Puckett by three seconds. Yep. And it broke the record by three minutes. Wow. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Over yeah. 15 miles. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that was the transformation where others in New Zealand were still doing 40 miles a week. Yep. Yeah. You know, we, we would lap them in a, in a, mm. a 10K or a 6-mile. 
Yeah. Know, because we, we had all gone to other levels that they, they just dreamed about. But, and of course, before then they slowly, of course, all got on board. Yeah. And eventually you end up with the Dave McKenzies and the Eddie Grays, you know, the Everett's and, 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 and uh, yeah, all these other guys around the country who all started doing the same or more. You yeah, know, and, um, and so it, yeah. they weren't being coached by Arthur. They were just sort of well, emulating they copied, they what copied you were doing. Yeah. They all yeah. copied it, yeah. and they all got the books. You know, as soon as Run to the Top came out, yeah. and they were all copying it. <laughs> and if you talk to Rod Dixon or Dick Quacks today, they'll tell you at 17 and 18, they started doing 100 miles a week because Lydia said so. <laughs> yeah. And the rest was history. At 25, they're world champion and they're world record holders. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, that's how it worked. But Lydia, you know, you've got to remember that in yeah, the year 2000, Runners World of America nominated Arthur Lydiard as the middle and distance running coach of the century in the world. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So how, how fortunate it was to be introduced to a man yeah. like yeah. Lydiard at 17. Yeah, and and why it all happened, and none of us would have ever achieved anything. You wouldn't be yeah. sitting here today, but for Lydia. Yeah. Was was yeah. he, you know, alongside all of that excitement? You know, was he a hard taskmaster? Were there times where you know he he gave you an earful, and you know, like, was or was it all kind of positive and 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 a pretty positive, productive environment? Uh, the simple answer is capital Y, capital E, capital S. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He yeah. was a hard taskmaster. Yeah. I mean, if someone, for some reason, didn't finish a race, mm. they got a sore toe or they felt sick or something, I, they wouldn't even talk to Arthur for three weeks. <laughs> they were too scared to just avoid him <laughs> because yeah. they would have got an earful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, Arthur's boys were, were so tough. Yeah. Nobody gave in, nobody gave up. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. I mean, that was why, I mean, on any given Saturday, even when I was world class, I could start in an Auckland cross-country champion or something and get sixth. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there were six or seven Olympians in the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. See, and none of them ever gave in or gave up. Yeah. Now, sometimes I'd be second or sometimes first or sometimes third. But mm. time and time again, I was fourth, fifth or sixth. Yeah. Go home. Not even a medal. Yeah. <laughs> and an Auckland champs. And an Auckland yeah. champs. Yeah, that's amazing. But, but, but the thing is, you know, yeah, but he was tough. He was hard. And yep. was it the same in training, um, not just racing? So say you, you've, you've pulled out of five miles into the eight-mile tempo or whatever it might be. Were, mm. Would you get, get an earful from that as well? Or, um, Everyone got an earful from Arthur Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everyone. He didn't, he didn't mince words. Yeah. yeah. In fact, yeah, he was only about five foot seven, big little nose, but boy, his words could cut people to pieces. Yeah, and um, you know, just as an anecdote, um, one day Arthur and I were just we'd been out training, we'd done a five k or something time trial in the sloppy mud of Oaraka in <laughs> the middle of winter, and it was wet and raining, and we were just running back to his house together, both soaking, both drowned, both <laughs> carrying these muddy sand shoes on our feet yeah, that we yeah. that we were trained in in the mud, and um, as we're going past the local fish shop, and um, yeah, some some bright eyed eighteen year old or whatever. And quite a big guy, probably more <laughs> like your size. Yeah, you know, more more the six footer, and um, yeah, probably ninety kg. 
yeah. uh, guy in the fish shop called out, look at those stupid gooks there. Look yeah. at them. <laughs> As we ran past. Yeah. Well, we ran about 10 metres past the fish shop. Lydia just stopped, turned around, and just walked to the front of that guy and stood in front of this great big guy, looked up at him, took his muddy sand shoe and went slap, 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 slap about four times across his face <laughs> yeah. and said, shut up. <laughs> that was yeah. Lydia. That was Lydia? Yeah. Brilliant. So, boy, you know, it, you know, he could just bang. Yeah. And he, he didn't suffer fools gladly. Mm. So um, you wow. didn't do a lot of talking always with Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> it's more listening. You, you just listen. Yeah. yeah. Listen that, and run. That, that's, and and you, you got out there and you did the stuff and... Um, it wouldn't matter where you were in the race, uh, you would be thinking, you can't give in, you can't give up, you've got to fight the end. Yeah. And yeah. every Arthur's voice was as tough as nails. Yeah. Because of okay. the attitude that Lydia had put into, you you all ended up Iron Man in the sense of, yeah. um, yeah, of yeah. what, what you were trying to do. Awesome. And, and you did mention before about that, um, that sort of father figure idea of you know someone to pat you on the back and yeah. say well done. Did he also have that side to him as well? Yes, he did. When you did do yeah, it, yeah. do the job. He, he was a, he was a champion psychologist in his own way. Yeah. Um, he, he knew who to kick in the backside, who to rip to pieces, who to growl at, or yeah. who to use a quiet word with, yeah. or who just to pat on the back, how, or how to how to get you going. Uh, he told me uh, twenty years later. He said, Halberg would come around here, and I'd just say, Murray, you've got to watch out for this guy, McGee. Did you know he did three miles in, in 14.34 last week in training? And Murray would say, did he? And I said, yeah, just be careful, Murray. He said, and Murray told me he would go home and go out for another run that day. <laughs> He'd done his training. Yeah, but yeah. Lydia knew how to wind him up. To say to bring out the best of him yeah. to get going and do more and 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 aim higher. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Where someone else, you know, he he would growl at, but um, and, and you know, I, I usually got just a pat on the shoulder and said, "Well done." Yeah, yeah. well done. He, he knew my personality, my type, my character. Yeah, and um, I never got the kick in the backsides. Awesome. Um, you like you kind of, of deserved did. it too much. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, we're, we'll take a little break. Um, well, in fact, that's, that's it for this episode, and we'll, um, we'll come back next week with the, the Olympic years. All right, so there we have the first instalment with Barry McGee. Uh, great guys, you can tell, and really fascinating stories to share. And there's more to come. We've got two more episodes uh, to come over the holidays from Barry, so stay tuned in. Um, and in the meantime, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you can fit in lots of running around all the, the food and family and celebrations and all that. Um, and also with with Tempo Fit at the moment, for those who are in Auckland, um, it's a really good time to be signing up. We've got a little promo running at the moment where you can sign up for 12 months and get free entry into both the Rotorua Marathon and the North Shore Marathon, uh, any distances for those events. So good way of saving some pennies and making those new resolutions happen all in one, one foul sweep. So check out tempofit.org if you're keen to join us. Uh, we kick back into workouts on the 9th of January, so um, it would be good to hit the new year running with you. But in the meantime, have a Merry Christmas everyone, happy running! <laughs>